Okay, so it's me back again. I haven't been here a while and a lot of stuff has happened and I just want to talk, really. I can't talk to my friends much. I can talk to my husband, but I can't really open up and talk about everything that I want to talk about. So here I am again. So as you all know, my dad had Parkinson's and dementia. He passed away um we buried him a week ago yesterday, and um, quite frankly, just being honest, it was a relief. Um, it was starting to get really rough on him. It wasn't rough on us. It was rough on him. Um, I have told y'all some of the things that have happened, but I'm going to share from beginning to end so I can just kind of get this all out. So... I guess it was about seven years ago that my dad had the onset of Parkinson's, which he had started having what they called centralized tremors on his right side, and that was it. And um, that was how the whole thing started. He had centralized tremors on his right side, and they put him on some medicine, and yeah, it was all good for a little while, but I knew deep down that it was going to that it was probably going to end up being Parkinson's. So I started going to meetings and things when I could. Not a, not a lot of them, but a few here and there just to start learning some things about it, what we were going to be faced with. And all the while, my family was in denial, and I knew that they were. I couldn't get them to go to any meetings. I couldn't get them to look at any of the notes that I was taking. I just really couldn't get them to talk about it with me. So... There I was. There was, I guess, me and Daddy knowing that he had it. and um, But we didn't talk about it. You know, we just didn't. When he had doctor visits, of course, we talked and things. So things rocked on. And fast forward, he uh, ended up, well, let me say this. He tried every medicine known to man. I think he had a fear of getting the deep brain stimulation surgery. You're awake when you get that surgery. They go into your brain and you have to be awake because they uh, put wires into your brain. It's almost like a, um, oh, what do they call them, a pacemaker. It's almost like a pacemaker. It stimulates your brain in places where it needs to be stimulated so that you don't have the tremors. So you have to be awake in order for them to know if they hit the right spot. So um, I think my dad had a little bit of a fear of that. So it went on for about four years that Daddy didn't um, Daddy didn't do anything but take medicine. Different doctors can't tell you how many doctors he went through. Can't tell you, you know, how many medicines he went through. And I sat and I watched. And I sat and I watched. And um, I knew a man, the first man in South Carolina. In fact, I was going to church with that had had the surgery done. I asked him to go over and talk to my daddy. He went over there and he talked to my daddy about the surgery. He told him it wasn't worse. It wasn't any worse than having a wisdom tooth or a root canal, and um, said he had it done on a Friday and he was back to work on a Monday. But he's a little bit younger than my daddy, not a whole lot, but he was a little bit younger than my daddy, and um, so you know that that was probably about two years that he talked to daddy before daddy finally broke down and had it done. But in the meantime. My mama and my sister went from doctor to doctor, dragging Daddy around, trying to find the magical pill to fix it all. And um, now Daddy was very, um, he was very active. He did what he could. He walked, 
He walked five miles a day for as long as he could. Then he had to cut it back to three. Then he had to cut it back to two. But he did it every day as long as he could. Daddy was always an athlete. He worked out. He was always in good shape. He was always healthy. Never had any any health problems whatsoever. None. Not a single thing. He had had some kidney stones here and there, but that was about it as far as health problems. So he always had taken very good care of himself. Didn't drink, didn't smoke, didn't cuss, none of that stuff. Didn't gamble. Daddy was just a good man. And um, that's the way he lived his life every day. And um, so finally the time came when his neurologist, who was pretty forthright, Dr. Scott, down in Abbeville, if you're ever needing one, he's a good one. He finally just told him, you know, I, there's nothing else I can do. The surgery is the only option for you at this point. We've tried everything. You've run around all over the place and seen every other doctor you can find. And I'm here to tell you, there's nothing else that we can do. So basically, they started with Dr. Scott, went a, went a full circle around Anderson County, uh, Oconee County, and around back to Dr. Scott again to, you know, thinking that he might have another magical pill down there, only to be told that the surgery was the only option or he just might as well get used to it. And um, so that's when he decided that he would go ahead and um, they started looking into the surgery. So he, I'm just giving y'all the Reader's Digest condensed version of this. I'm not going into every single detail. But he went ahead and had the surgery done a little over two years ago. It's been now, and it worked. He had a bad reaction to the anesthesia, and um, so he didn't get to get the... They have to do one side of the brain at the time. They can't do both sides of the brain at one time. That's anybody that gets it done. So when he had the first side of his brain done, he had a bad reaction, and um, he he just had he had to wait a little bit longer than the average person does to go back and get the other side done but he did go back and get the other side done and he had no tremors he did pretty good for a while he started back walking a little bit and um personally i think between the medicine and putting up with the tremors for about four years I think it did a number on his body, and the surgery stopped the tremors, but his body had deteriorated so much in the process that, you know, he was just not ever going to be physically capable of doing the things that he was able to do before the surgery and all that good stuff, you know, like everybody thought. Everybody thought that when he got the surgery that it was going to fix everything, and he was going to live this you know, lived this tremor-free life for years and years and years to come, and it didn't work out that way. So, in stepped dementia shortly after, and um, every uh, well, my mama, she was with him the most. She thought he was having hallucinations and things, and he probably was sometimes. There was lots of times that he got up out of the bed and went into the neighbor's yard and slept. I mean, he, you name it, he did it pretty much. And so it was rough. It it got real rough. And then he just started going downhill. The dementia got worse. He started going downhill and he, um, started getting urinary tract infections. And that's when, you know, things are getting kind of bad and, got to where he was just really having a hard time so he was in and out of the hospital and mainly for kidney stones urinary tract infections that's what started the whole thing and then um 
the very last time he went into the hospital was a different trip to the hospital. You know, we all thought that it was just another time, and it was not just another time. When he came out, he had to go at my, it was my mother's decision to do it, but she decided that my daddy was going to the nursing home. I'm not going to say which one it is. I'm just not going to right yet. But he went into the nursing home, and we thought it was for physical therapy, so that, um, for chewing and swallowing and that kind of thing, and we didn't think it was going to be long-term. But I think that Mama thought it was just so comfy, cozy, and it was so convenient for you know, them to be able to take care of Daddy and uh, for them to do everything that... She decided that, along with the doctors down there, of course they want to fill every bed, so they decided that long-term care was what Daddy was going to get at the nursing home where he was at. There are three sisters, um, including myself, two sisters and me, and we did not want it. We did not want Daddy down there, and honestly, I did not go down there and visit for a while. I didn't want to see him down there. I didn't want to see him in that place. I knew he wouldn't want to be there, and so I didn't go for a while, and um, that ended up causing a little friction. My sisters got mad because they, you know, they thought they were doing everything, which I didn't understand that either because I thought that's what the nursing home did. But anyway, I finally broke down and went down there and started spending time with him and started spending a lot of time with him. In fact, as much time as I could when I saw, you know, how bad it had gotten and how bad it was going to get, started spending a lot of time with him as much as I could. And um, it was... It was probably all me and my husband did for probably about four months, I guess. It was all we did in our free time. We There was nothing for me and my husband to do anymore. You know, I was consumed with it, and luckily he went along with it. And sometimes I think he got frustrated, but he went along with it anyway. And there was a couple of bumps in our road because of it, but you got to do what you got to do. And so we went on and... um you know, we spent our time down there for about four months. We were going and spending all of our free time down there with my daddy and just watching, you know, just watching what was going on. And and then it happened. Um, you know, every, we thought everything was okay. And, well, I never really thought it was okay. I didn't like the place. It stunk. It was just bad. And so... Um, Finally, it happened. My daddy got assaulted at the nursing home. He got hit in the face with a pillow by a nurse because he was being combative. I think that he was combative the whole time he was down there because he didn't want to be there. And uh, while my daddy could still talk and still understand things, I made sure my daddy knew that it was not me or my sisters that made the decision to have him put in that nursing home, that that was mama's decision. So it rocked on for a little while longer. He got assaulted. Mama didn't bring him out of there. Me and my sisters begged and begged and begged for her to take him out of there. She still wouldn't do it because she couldn't, she said she couldn't handle him. So um, the next thing that happened to my daddy was my mama slapped him while he was down there. And um, that that one, nobody said anything about that one. Well, then she slapped him again, and a nurse saw it. 
and reported it and they escorted mama out of the nursing home so for about two weeks me and my sisters had to uh take care of stuff my niece did and um you know we just pulled in we did what we had to do to keep things going and because they had told my mama the only way she could come to the nursing home was if she was being supervised by somebody down there and she just didn't want to do that she didn't want to sit with her husband and be supervised so we jumped in and you know did what we had to do to take care of him and um so she finally she finally broke down and um it you know went on in there and went and started visiting with him and that kind of thing and um so um I'm losing my train of thought here what happened there's been so much that has happened to my daddy that it is just unreal but um anyways so she got to start going back down there and March the 8th was my birthday and um went down there to see daddy on my birthday he was able to not really say happy birthday to me but he moved his lips and he tried to say happy birthday to me but he couldn't he was not able to talk anymore at that point but it just it was it was kind of bittersweet it was it was good it was real good for me and then the next day um well march the 10th was actually the day that the nursing home went on quarantine and daddy was left down there alone and I was fearful for his life. I honestly was. I was fearful for his life because based on what we had already been seeing, I knew that Daddy was not gonna, probably not going to make it out of the nursing home alive. I, it was a miracle to me that he made it out of the nursing home alive. And quite frankly, he barely made it out of the nursing home alive. So um, his neck, we, we started praying for God to deliver Daddy out of the nursing home. And he did. He delivered him out of there into the Anderson Hospital. And uh, mind you now, while from March the 10th till he went into the hospital, he had been in quarantine at the Ivan Nursing Home. So he had gotten dehydrated, he got a UTI, and he also got MRSA while he was down there. And we all know how people get MRSA. That's laying in feces and urine. And so, you know, my mama had signed a paper to allow them to chemically restrain him. So I'm guessing he probably stayed doped up all the time and they just didn't change him like they should. And that's probably how he contracted the MRSA down there is just laying in his own mess all the time. So then he goes to the hospital and Mama gets to go up there for about two days. And while he was at the hospital, I did get to talk to him. He asked for me and Mama called me. And uh, I got to FaceTime with him for a little bit at work one day, and I got to tell him I loved him. While he was still able, he was bright-eyed that day. I remember the look on his face on my phone. He was just as bright-eyed as he could be. And, um, you know, he, I got to tell him I loved him, and he told me he loved me too. And so that was a short, sweet conversation right there. And um, so... Two days later, they tell Mama that she's got to leave the hospital, that they're on quarantine now. So there's Daddy by himself at the hospital now. And um, that rocked on for a couple of weeks or so. And Daddy just kept going down, down, down. 
and the decision had to be made as to what to do. Mama wanted to put a feeding tube in him because she was afraid she was starving him to death and didn't want to be responsible for that. And my sisters and myself, we did not want that to happen. We didn't want Mama to put a feeding tube in him. We wanted him to just go on out like he was supposed to go out under hospice care. And um, the day before he was to get the feeding tube put in, uh, well, God intervened and hospice got involved and the nurses talked to Mama and talked her out of doing the feeding tube so that hospice could come to the house and take care of Daddy. So um, we were all waiting on Daddy to get home from the hospital and had been told that he may not make the ride down the road. He was that bad off. So he gets down the road, and um, they take him off the gurney and put him in the bed and roll him into the house and into his Clemson room. My daddy has a Clemson room, and when he opened his eyes, he just sobbed, and I think he was finally he was happy because he was finally home. I think that's where he wanted to be all along. I don't think he ever wanted to be in the nursing home. I don't think he was ever happy there. I think he was lonesome at night. I think that he was probably abused more than we know. I think the assault was just something that they got caught doing. I think he was over-medicated. I think he was neglected. I think that a lot of things happened to my daddy while he was down there that were not good. And um, so when he opened his eyes and saw that he was home, he just sobbed. And like I said, I think that he was just happy that he was finally home. And I think that's where he wanted to be all along. So, um, he got settled in, he cried for a little while, and he went out, and, um, that was it. He went out, and he opened his eyes that night real wide for a while, like he was looking around for something. He didn't talk to anybody, didn't say anything, he was just looking. And so, night one... At home, that was what happened. He opened his eyes real wide and looked around for a little while. And in hindsight, I wish I hadn't have went and got everybody else in the house and woke them up. I was in the room with him by myself. It was time to go to bed, and I was sleeping beside him on the floor and doing night duty. And so um, in hindsight, I almost wish I hadn't have went and woke everybody up. I wish I would have just enjoyed that moment by myself with my daddy but inside I felt selfish I thought about it while he had his eyes open I thought should I go get everybody and I did because I thought well you know if it happened to me I would want somebody to come get me and let me see him that way so that was the only reason I went and got everybody else and let them see daddy with his eyes open like that so that was night one at home and I was under the impression when I went down there that me, my mama, my two sisters, my daughter, and my niece were going to be quarantined in with daddy. It was not that way. My mama went on Facebook and put on Facebook that anybody that wanted to come by to see see my daddy could come by to see my daddy. Never mind the coronavirus and never mind everything that's going on in the world right now, mama went on Facebook and opened a floodgate for people to come through to see Daddy. And um, so it didn't make me real happy when I saw that, but, you know, that's that's what she did. I really wasn't looking at her Facebook, and um, 
because she had unfriended me. She just really don't like me that much, to be honest about it. And um, it's kind of a mutual feeling. I love my mama, but I don't like her, if that makes any sense. So uh stayed down there all day long the next day. Slept down there night number two. Same thing. Got ready for bed. Um, read the Bible to daddy. Played some music for him. Prayed over him. Lay down and went to sleep. Wake up during the night periodically. Give him the medicine he was supposed to have. And then again, uh, you know, got up the next day. That day I came home because I didn't have any clean clothes. I came home, I took a shower, and I went back. And um, everybody was there. My son was there. My daughter were there. Everybody that I have mentioned before, we were all there. And um, so it got. I, everybody was getting settled. Mama was snappy with everybody the whole time Daddy was home. For three days, she had been snappy already. And so when it got time to go to bed... One of the preachers that was going to bury Daddy had come by earlier in the day to talk to each one of us individually. And he had given me some Bible verses to read Daddy. And um, so I went into the room. That night I wasn't going to sleep in the room with Daddy. That night my mama and my niece were sleeping in there. And I was going to be sleeping on the couch that night. But I went in there because, you know, they had already told us that Daddy could hear and I knew, I kind of, in, in my mind, you know, and they had already told us if something makes you feel better, do it. Even if you don't know if he can feel it or if he knows it or not, just do it for your peace of mind, you know. So I went in there and I wanted to read the Bible, one of the Bible verses. And when I went to read the Bible verse, my mama just kind of had a fit she told me to shut up she told me she didn't want to hear anything out of the bible she told me she was tired of me and that turned into a big gigantic mess and um my daddy it, I, I wish he couldn't hear and um but they say that they can all the way they say that you can hear all the way up until you die i guess unless you're deaf to start with but um daddy that was not the case with daddy he could hear just fine so, um, daddy got to hear my niece break out in a, in a screaming fit, my mama breaking out in a fit of, um, everything that she could think of that I had done to irritate her over the past, seemed like five to ten years, I don't know how long, but, um, so she busted loose on me, and I just stood and I took it, and I, you know, I just, I did what I had to do to show my children really that I had some self-control and that I wasn't going to lash back at her or anything like that and um yeah my husband's sitting here he's heard all this but I'm glad my kids got to see that because I don't go down there a lot I had not been down there as much as I should have and mainly because of the way mama has always treated me you know I, the only thing that kept me going down there was my daddy and um so that night when she after she got through having her fit and started she diagnosed herself with a heart attack and i just told everybody i was just gonna leave and come home and i had complete peace about it i felt like it was the right thing to do for daddy because i knew my mama well enough to know that she could probably bust out in another 
attack at any moment, you know, on me or somebody else. And I figured the best thing to do was for me to leave. So for the next two days, I just um, let everybody know when I was coming. I went down there and I spent time with Daddy and, you know, talked to him. And on day number five of him being home, I knew that it was getting close because his breathing was getting very shallow. He was only breathing once about every seven seconds. He was only taking a breath once every seven seconds. So I made sure on that fifth day before I left that I told my daddy goodbye. And this time it was a different goodbye. I told daddy that, you know, I told daddy goodbye and that, I would see him in heaven because I felt like that was going to be the night that he would go. And so I came on home, and I had had a hard time sleeping anyway. And that night was no different. I was probably up till about 2 a.m., I'm guessing, maybe 3. The phone rings at 4.40. I looked up at the clock. I looked up at the microwave, actually, when um, the phone rang. And it was 4.47, I believe it was, 4.42 or 4.47, I can't remember exactly. But it was my niece to tell me that my daddy had passed away. And I wasn't a bit surprised, I wasn't really shocked too much. I was kind of expecting it, I felt like that was going to happen that night. I didn't know how he could, how he had held on all those days anyway. So, um come to find out it was 4:37 exactly when he took his last breath and um so they wanted to know if I was coming on they called about an hour later and I had already been told by the the uh the mortician I guess you would call him that he would have to get daddy immediately as soon as hospice pronounced daddy dead he was going to have to come and pick his body up because of the MRSA, and he would have to be—he would have to—he um, would have to be embalmed as soon as possible because the MRSA would start tearing his flesh down. And so, immediately after hospice came, they had to come and get him and take him to be embalmed early in the morning. And um, so, the funeral was on a Friday. And, um, we, I mean, things just kept happening. We kept finding out stuff all along. We found out that a minister had, if you want to call him that, had come to my mom and daddy's house and he had tested positive for the coronavirus, but came on over there anyway. So there we are knowing that. And then, um, just all kinds of things had happened. It, I actually debated on whether I wanted to go to my own daddy's funeral or not. And my husband and I got there right on time, right when it started. And we wore masks because we had been told that we had been exposed. And so um, the the funeral was absolutely beautiful. You know, it was kind of, I mean, I was kind of glad that there wasn't a lot of people there. I really was. I think that daddy would have wanted it that way. I'm glad there wasn't a lot of people there. I think that worked out pretty perfectly for my daddy not to be there. I mean, for a lot of people not to be there. I'm sorry. Well, daddy wasn't there either. But, um, so, we, um, my, my cousin sang one day at a time. And then, um, a man played the piano. My daddy always loved Floyd Kramer. And, uh, he 
turned as it turns out my daddy had told him for had told this man 42 years ago that he wanted him to play our last date at his funeral and so he did and it was beautiful it was pretty perfect and from there we um you know we all said bye to daddy one more time and I didn't cry. I did, I wasn't able to cry. I didn't feel it in me to cry. I was relieved that Daddy had passed on. I was relieved because, for one, he was he was healed. He was with Jesus, and he wasn't here anymore. And that was the main reason I was glad. But there were underlying reasons I was glad. I was glad because I didn't have to keep going down there around my mama and uh the rest of my family there's just a whole lot of stuff that goes on in my family and i know a lot of people have a lot of stuff that goes on in their families we're not an isolated case but you know my my way of dealing with it was just staying away from it you know i was just tired of it so that was another reason i was glad it was over so we left the church and we went to the cemetery and that the part of the funeral where the both the preachers spoke was beautiful it was perfect they all they both had known him their whole lives and interacted with him a whole lot hunt fish um dune buggy riding Volkswagens, and all that kind of good stuff together so it was perfect and my cousin Winnie who writes poems now in his latter years who gets called to quite a, a lot of funerals if he's very close to the people they all want him to write something so it was no different. He, um, it was pretty perfect in that respect too. So everything was perfect. And then um, Michael and I came home. My husband, that is, we came on home after the funeral. We kept our mask on. And but here's the here's the thing. Now that it's starting to hit me a little bit, you know, with it being Easter. The last day that I got to be with my daddy at the nursing home, I was telling my husband this morning after we went to the church service that my mama, who was supposed to be taking care of my daddy or help taking care of my daddy at the nursing home, when um, I went down there on the last day that I could before quarantining on March the 9th, those little sponges on a stick, like on a sucker stick, it took me about, I think it took me four of them to get Daddy's mouth cleaned out real good because he had so much food just gunked up in his mouth where people were trying to force him to eat when he couldn't. And so I cleaned his mouth out, got his mouth cleaned out real good, and um, toward the end, he started just sucking on the sponge and sucking water out of the sponge and... So I knew that he was thirsty. His mouth was just dry as a bone. Nobody had been in there to check on him. So, you know, he was alive enough to know that he was thirsty and his mouth was dry. And that was the only thing that was going to help. So um, went through that. That very last day that I was there, I discovered a half of a dirty brief and a dirty bandage in the bed with him and kind of had a fit with the nursing home. So, you know, you got to bear in mind, he's been assaulted by the nursing home. He was assaulted by my mama. I found him in that condition that day. The whole time he fought, kicked, and tried to get out of that place. And um, it was just really hard. I knew he was doing it because he didn't want to be down there. I feel like that. I don't feel like it was the Parkinson's and the dementia that was making my daddy act that way. I feel like my daddy was acting that way because he wanted to be at home 
simply because of the way I saw the reaction that he had when he saw that he was at home. We had no trouble out of him at all. He had been fighting people like crazy all the way up until the day that he got home to spend the last five days of his life at home. So um, I was telling my husband when we left church this morning that, you know, the day that I had to clean Daddy's mouth out with the sponges and everything, it... um, if if you've never seen the movie The Passion of the Christ, it it reminded me of that part in the movie when Jesus is on the cross and they've done everything that they can possibly do to him, and then they put vinegar in his mouth. And um, when I was taking the sponge and the water and putting it to his mouth, that's all I could think about, you know. And um, when my husband and I were talking about it this morning, my daddy lived such a good life. He really did. He didn't cuss. He didn't drink. He didn't smoke. He played softball. He worked. He was a good man. And the last six months of his life were, I guess, probably about like the last few days of Jesus' life. He um, he was tortured. He was tormented by people that he thought that loved him. He was betrayed. And, um, you know, everything that Jesus went through, my daddy went through. And um, my husband just was spot on this morning. He said the only difference between what Jesus went through and what my daddy went through is that there was no reason for my daddy to have to go through it. There was a reason that Jesus had to go through it was for all of us and to save us from our sins. But... My daddy shouldn't have had to go through all that stuff. Now, there's nothing we can do about it now. And, you know, we just have to deal with it and live with all of our decisions that we all made and everything that we did when it happened. But it just, Easter's going to be, it's not going to be the actual day that my daddy passed away. Easter's always going to be a time that's probably going to be rough for me because. I'm always going to remember the way that my daddy was treated and how he was betrayed and how he was abused and assaulted and treated the same way that Jesus was, but it was for no reason. So I'm always going to have that unless I, you know, I do, I have talked to hospice and I do want to have some counseling unless somebody can help me to see it from a different get it get a different look at it then that's probably the way I'm gonna feel when Easter rolls around is I'm gonna think about what my daddy went through because I can't help it right now I can't help but to think about that and that's the way I see it but um anyway uh we like I said we had a pastor come in that had been exposed to corona so my husband and I are on day seven at best of um quarantining ourselves we've been very careful um i had had an ear infection that had been going on for quite some time and the doctor visits kept getting pushed back because of the coronavirus and um i had taken so many antibiotics that i honestly thought that i had c diff and we found out today that i tested negative for c diff so that was a blessing 
that took a load off but my husband and I still have to live another week not knowing if we've been exposed to the coronavirus or not we pray about it every day we pray about it several times a day and we pray that we were not and that we'll be okay and we're not going out and going around anybody and taking any chances on exposing ourselves we have to go out and get food we wear a mask we keep our hands clean we don't touch our faces we spray the bottom of our shoes with Lysol before we get back in the car we are doing everything humanly possible that we can do to keep from coming in contact with people and we're staying away from everybody else. I thought it was selfish of that preacher to come over there and do what he did. I didn't see no sense in it. it what Daddy was two days away from dying. I mean, he was already to the point where his breathing was labored. And um, he was already showing signs that he was on his way out. And it did no good. It did, it did absolutely no good to bring that band in there, I, I guess. That was another case that, like, the hospice people were talking about, that it made uh, my mom and my sisters feel better than it did Daddy. Um, the hospice nurse came in, and he said that it agitated him and because they were so happy that his blood pressure was up, and the hospice nurse had to explain to us th that that was not why more than likely that daddy did not daddy was not in a place to where he was able to enjoy anything anymore he had not had food for about a week at that time he had not wanted anything he had not asked for anything he had not craved for anything so basically i sat down there and i watched my sisters try to get my daddy to come back to life sticking milkshakes in his mouth um you know i watched all of them try to get daddy to come back to life i watched a preacher i stood down there one night and listened to a preacher pray that my daddy would make it till august the 25th so that him and my mama could celebrate another anniversary together and i heard my mama say that that's what she wanted so you know today right now i'm thankful that my daddy is gone to be with jesus and that his he's healed and um I'm just, I don't know what to do going forward about my family situation. I don't know that it'll ever get any better. Um, there's a whole lot of other things I could go on and talk all night long. I could probably write a book. But anyway, I just, um, if there's anybody out there that hears this, I hope that you, nobody ever has to go through anything like what we went through. And I hope that your loved ones don't have to go through what we had to go through either. It was rough. And, um. It was just real rough, and I felt bad for my daddy, and I'm thankful. I'm thankful. I know that sounds horrible, but I'm thankful he's gone, and I really, it's hard. I cry when I think about the ways that he was treated. That that does hurt me. It's just like when my cousin Jody got shot, I heard my Aunt Tonda, she told me one time, said that, it wasn't the fact that Jody was gone because she knew that Jody was in heaven. It was the way that Jody had to go. He went out of this world begging for his life at the hands of a murderer. He got shot once and then um, the man turned the gun on him and shot him again and it was the second shot that killed him. And that's the part that my aunt struggles with and that's the part that we all struggle with with Jody too is... 
you know, why did he have to go out of this world begging for his life? You know, nobody wants to do that. Nobody does. You don't want that for your child. You don't want that for anybody that you know and love. You really don't want to even hear it on the news that something like that happened to somebody that they went out of this world begging for their life, knowing that the first shot coming from an FBI forensic agent in a courtroom saying that the first shot didn't kill him, that it was the second shot that did it, knowing that he could have survived it if the man would have just stopped, if he would have just thought about what he had just done and just stopped. But, you know, my daddy's with him now. Jody looked to my daddy as a daddy. He came over to mom and daddy's house all the time to talk to daddy. And um, so I'm thankful that they're together again now. I hate what's been left behind. I really hate what's been left behind for Jody's family and for us, too, because it hurts. Jody was my first best friend, and we were friends our whole lives, and I loved him with all my heart, and I hated when I heard that he was gone. It was it was shocking. It was just like the same feeling that I got when I got the phone call that my daddy had been assaulted. It was just unreal. It was unbelievable, and how could somebody do a man of that caliber, how could somebody treat a man that way that was that good? But, um, you know, we can't sit around and wonder about these things all the time. But I guess I come here to talk about this to kind of get it off my chest a little bit, get it out of my heart and air it out a little bit. And I think the more you talk about it, maybe the easier it gets to talk about and the more you realize about it. But, um... I don't want anybody's, you know, I don't want anybody feeling sorry for me. I don't because, you know, my daddy was the one that suffered. We really didn't, we didn't suffer. We we really didn't. I mean, other than watching daddy and seeing how daddy, you know, was going down, that was hard to see. But he was the one that was actually going through it. And I think that I have um, found a little bit of strength from it. Because the other day when I had to get my blood drawn, I was telling my husband, I went in there and I laid down and I was so nervous. I had already told him that I was probably going to pass out. So they had to put me on a bed to draw my blood. And I laid my arm down and I just started chanting in my head, not out loud, but in my head. I was saying, I can do all three things through Christ who gives me strength. I just said it over and over. And I... um. The nurse went and got an ice pack and put it on my chest. I laid there for probably 10 minutes, I guess, something like that, while my husband was pacing outside because he couldn't come in with me. And uh, finally, I asked the nurse, I said, is my blood just, is it just this slow moving? And she said, it's over, it's done. And I didn't even feel it. I'm not kidding. I didn't feel her stick me. I didn't feel her put the tape and the cotton ball on my arm. So... I've kind of been telling myself when I'm going in front of things like that, that's the first thing, but I'm trying to tell myself, I know my daddy had anxiety and I know that my daddy had fear of things, but if he could go through brain surgery, then going and have a little blood drawn out of my arm shouldn't be anything. And I'm always going to think of my daddy when things like that come up. I'm always going to think that if my daddy could go through brain surgery, then I can do this. And maybe that's not the right way to look at things, but it's going to help me. I know it's going to help me. 
because I knew that Daddy had a fear of, of some things. He had a fear of crowds, and he changed church over, you know, toward the end of his life. He changed from the church that he had grown up in all his life. He changed churches because the crowd was too big and started going to Dale Cross's church, the man that preached his funeral, one of them that preached his funeral. He decided to start going to his church because... They, at best, probably had 30 to 40 people there on a Sunday, and it just worked better for Daddy. It kept him from shaking and tremoring and feeling nervous, and he actually probably got something from it. But my Daddy was a real good man. My Daddy always tithed, and it bothers me. I don't I don't know that my mama's tithing. I, if I had to guess, I would, if I, I would say she probably is not, and... That bothers me. It bothers me that she don't go to church anymore. You know, because I know that my daddy loved my mama. He had to love her. I mean, good Lord, if if you can't tell from what I've said, my daddy had to love my mama. And I know that my daddy is expecting for my mama to come and be in heaven just like he wants all of us to be in heaven with him too. And I don't, I just pray, I pray for my mama. I don't want my mama to get left behind. I don't want all of us to be there and my mama to get left behind. But I can't be the Holy Spirit. And my mama has got to allow the Holy Spirit to work in her and to to convict her and get her back in church and get herself back on the right path and get herself right with all of her children, her grandchildren. Um because she's just really made a hot mess out of things and I wouldn't wish this mess that we've got going on on nobody but I know it goes on maybe not to the level that we have it I'm sure it could be it's worse in some cases and maybe it's a little bit lighter in others but um I wouldn't wish it on nobody but that's all I'm going to talk about right now for tonight I think that's been enough that's pretty much all of it in a nutshell there's I could have gone on and told more, but I just, um, I'm just going to start doing this more often. And maybe when I start going to counseling, I can let somebody listen to it so they know where I'm coming from and know how I feel. And, um, but if anybody does hear this, I'm praying for you. I'm praying for anybody that's in a situation like this. And if anybody hears this, pray for us too. And um, not just me, but pray for my whole family because we don't know what we're going to do going forward. And right now I'm just, uh, well, we're having to do social distancing because of the coronavirus. But we're just doing it because, you know, I guess it's just a good excuse to stay away from them for right now. Because I don't know how I, quite how I feel about things. I still don't know. But um, anyway... Y'all all have a good night, and I'm going to go, and let's all pray that this weather don't get so bad that we have a hard time with that, too. And uh, good night, and say your prayers.